Hello and welcome back to another episode of Horror Hut, the show about my love of horror. I'm your host, Cordell, and today I want to talk about one of the standout episodes of Lovecraft Country called Jigabobo. Let's get started. I have to say that for the first time, I didn't wait a year or two or five even to watch a show that was airing on TV that everyone was talking about. You know, the first episode of Lovecraft Country aired on August 16th of 2020 on HBO. So just a few months ago, I finally watched it and I binge watched everything. And of course, I'd been hearing about it and hearing about it. And I kept seeing promos from it on Facebook. So I bookmarked it in my mind and told myself that as soon as I have some free time, I'm going to watch it in full. But one day, I see the same promo photo of the protagonists, which are Atticus and Letty, who are played by Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett. And this little girl who looked to have been in midair. <laughs> and it creeped me all the way out. I couldn't get that image out of my head for days, which further piqued my interest. Now, before I continue, for those of you who haven't heard of it, because I do have listeners overseas, it's about a man named Atticus Black, who joins his friend Letitia, or aka Letty, and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. It's based on and serves as a continuation of the 2016 novel of the same name by Matt Ruff. Um, it explores the conjunction between the horror fiction of H.P. Lovecraft and the racism here in the U.S. during the era of Jim Crow laws as experienced by Atticus and his family, because, you know, they are Black, they're African American. So there's the connection. There are 10 episodes 53 to 68 minutes long, all of which are connected, but the connections don't jump right out at you until you've really started watching and paying attention to what's going on. Um, I know that some people were a little confused about the show, but liked it nonetheless. It's created by Misha Green and is produced by Monkey Paw Productions, excuse me, Monkey Paw, yeah, Monkey Paw Productions, which is Jordan Peele's production company. So again, you know it's good. <laughs> and uh, Warner Brothers Television Studios. Now, to the point. Let me tell you about this episode and why being home alone during the day, okay, the day, <laughs> was a serious struggle for a minute there. Um, and, and if you haven't seen this episode, I suggest you stop listening right now. I don't want to, there's definitely going to be some spoilers about certain scenes in this episode. It's filled with a lot. But it's, it's a show that you would need to see from episode one up until the very end. And this is the eighth episode. Um, so if you don't want to hear any spoilers and you want to watch it, you go right ahead. Uh, but you're, you're definitely going to want to hear a piece of what I'm talking about. Um, so here's a little rundown of the whole episode. And I'll let you know when to stop listening and just to go on and watch the show. So at the beginning of the episode, Atticus, Letty, Ruby, 
who's Letty's sister, and who's also a big part of the show, Montrose, who's Atticus's father, and Diana, Atticus's niece, are at the memorial for Emmett Till, who was a friend of Diana's. Now, of course, that's a tiny little spoiler right there. Yes, they do end up finding his father kind of early on in the show, but there wouldn't be much of a show if they didn't find him. I'll put it that way. Um, so there's that little spoiler. Um, but let me continue. Diana stopped by Lancaster, who's one of the police officers, excuse me, officers of the, you know, the neighborhood. And he's Caucasian, so they're, he's, him and his partner are harassing her. Um, he demands that she give him the orrery, spelled O-R-R-E-R-Y. It's this magic scroll type thing. Um, and when she refuses, he casts a spell that leads to two malevolent spirits, Topsy and Bopsy, and I call them the demon twins, to haunt her. Now, Lancaster is a part of this, it, I, I don't really want to call it a cult. It's, it's more like a coven of witches and warlocks, and it's called the Order. And it's this little relic that they're looking for, and, and I think it gives you eternal life. That's what they're looking for. Um, but after that incident, she makes it back home, and Montrose is trying to talk to her, through the bathroom door, but she's not having it, you know, and in the midst of him trying to get in, she sees the cover of a copy of Uncle Tom's Cabin on the shelf, but the illustration is of a fanged and gruesome Topsy, the enslaved character of the book. So if you've never read Uncle Tom's Cabin, you you probably should, just to learn a little bit of African-American history, because it's, you know, it's always necessary. And you're going to need a visual of what I'm talking about. I'm going to try to explain it as best I can, but it gives you a good visual. Um, her BFF was just murdered, you know, and the cops are out here harassing her. They cursed her and she can't even, you know, she hasn't even had her run in with these demon twins yet. But anyway, that freaks her out and she hops out the window um, so a little, uh, I'll give you a little background on the Topsy character. Harriet Beecher Stowe, author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, paints her, nature, she paints her as a feral type creature, sort of, in the book, as an effect of the depravity of slavery. So the character has many of the features that were frequently satirized in minstrel shows, like the pigtails the simple-mindedness, and, like, the wild-mouth red grin, you know, very similar to blackface back in the day. I mean, they would do white, like, they would paint around the lips, make it look white, almost clown-like, but in illustrations, it was red a lot of the time, and she wanted white readers to feel empathy for Topsy, but it backfired and was then domesticated into pop culture, making her a figure that worked in the ser I'm sorry, in the service of white entertainment. So that's how blackface got started, and that's why it's offensive to us African Americans to this day, because it, it the the meaning of Uncle Tom's Cabin was completely lost. 
But anywho, she makes it to a subway station and boom, minstrel music starts playing. And minstrel music is that circle music that dun, 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 I can't really explain it. Uh, if you're a Family Guy fan, they uh, when he's like, you know, play some music or whatever, and it's the two guys who who hop out, the one starts dancing and the other one is playing at the piano. That's that's considered minstrel music or just circus music. There we go. Circus music. But that starts playing and it sounds it's like kind of off key. So there's that it kind of creeps you out right then and there. And when she looks over, she sees Topsy and Bopsy. Technically two Topsies, but you know, they're they're twins, right? Um, it's just these two demon girls. And they're doing jerky dance moves up the stairs. And I have goosebumps talking about it right now because it's it's just that creepy to me. <laughs> um, and nobody else can see them. And so Diana runs naturally, but they follow her everywhere. And each time they show up, things get worse. The dancing and the way they look is just horribly creepy. Horribly creepy. So anyway... Uh, <laughs> Um, she finds Lancaster and wants him to call off the curse, but of course he won't do it. Now, this is where you might want to skip out and maybe either watch the episode to get a gist of what I'm talking about and to see all the other crazy shit that happens on that episode alone, or you can start from episode one and work your way through if you have the time. But this is where I would stop listening if you don't really want any more spoilers. Um, but... Anyway, I'm going to continue. Uh, he won't do it unless he has the orrery. And she has every right to not trust this man, you know, after all of this. So she refuses again, and she leaves. She then makes it back to Uncle George's shop, and she lures them in, attempting to fight them with a the pipe. And it seems like she's making progress, but when Montrose comes busting in, and holds her back, again, no one can see them but her, they finally get her. They scratch her. They have really, really long nails. Well, they, at this point, they grew them out real quick to, like, get her, to cut her. And so that's what happens. Uh, they tore into her skin, and she, she just fell out, and she breaks out into a sweat. Now she's in a fever. And it, it leaves you with a bit of a cliffhanger because, you know, it, it kind of ends there. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. It, it just was a lot, a lot. And as she's suffering through this fever and they're trying to break the spell that they put on her by scratching her, you know, uh, she slowly starts turning into one of them. There's right around her lips... Um, her mouth is getting wider and wider. Her hair is now in just these wild plaits with little red bows at the end of them. Um, her arm where they scratched her is like, it's, it looks like it's rotting away. It, and it's just, it's just crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, that's, that's the best way that I can describe what they look like. Those wild plaits with small little red ribbons at the end of them. They're, they're dirty. They have, you know, like they, they just look dingy. Um, and the, what's supposed to be like cream colored dresses, there's like spots of dirt and as if they fell in dirt. Um, their shoes 
are also dingy, supposed to be white. Um, they have bloody hands and mouths the whole time, too, and really sharp teeth. Uh, you can think of the teeth of an anglerfish. That's how I would describe that. And the jerky movements, you know, they, they barely ever walk. They're always dancing in an unnatural way. Um, but the jerky movements really got me, and you could hear bones cracking and stuff like that. But all of this, all of this was happening during the day. So that <laughs> that was a huge struggle for me. Um, but I do recommend watching this episode. Not just this episode, but this show. I really wanted to talk about that because it creeped me the hell out. And like I've said time and time again, I like things that creep me all the way out. But they do unsettle me. And if you can get that kind of rise out of me, perfect. When I have discussions like this with my family, they laugh out of confusion because, you know, like I've said from the very beginning, my love of horror started at a young age, elementary school age, actually. And I've seen so many horror movies over the years, and I can handle most of everything that I've seen and even some of the things that I've come across. But, I, I you know, again, when the creep factor is super high, that's where I have an issue. Uh, just to name a few, excuse me, Insidious, when, and this is, I'm talking about the first film. Um, and when I talk about movies with sequels, you're never going to hear me say one. No, that that's the name of it. If I'm going to be talking about Insidious chapter two, then I will say that. If it's chapter three, I will say that. If it's the last key, which is basically chapter four, I will say that. I'm talking about Insidious, the first film. And it's when she takes out the trash at their new house and sees a little person dancing to Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. I was watching that in broad daylight and that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it did. I, I jumped. I don't know if I've jumped so hard in my life. Um, Burnt Offerings is a 70s horror movie. And... It stars um, Oliver Reed, Karen Black. I love Karen Black. And it's one of Betty Davis's last films. I believe it was the late 70s when it came, like 78, 79, something like that. But um, there's a flashback scene of Oliver Reed's character, plays the father. Um, it's, it's a flashback scene of his dad's funeral during his childhood, which was traumatic for him. And that chauffeur who would go from looking stern to a huge ass smile on his face and then immediately back to looking stern and would just stare at him. I didn't like that, you know, and it was in black and white. So like he's wearing circular blacked out sunglasses. So you can't see his eyes. You can kind of hardly see his face. You just see that weird grin for a couple seconds and then it goes away and he looks pissed off again and he's in you know dressed in all black and he at, he just keeps staring at him you know during the father's funeral that's so creepy so creepy and at one point in the movie there's another scene where they're of course adults because they rent out this house for the summer and it's you know the father the mother the auntie i'm i'm guessing you can you know 
guess who the auntie is. The auntie is Betty Davis, the mother is Karen Black, the father's Oliver Reed, and then it's their son. I forgot his name, that actor's name, but he's a kid. And they're, you know, renting out this, this big old house for the summer, and the brother and sister who were staying there were like, okay, you know, the only condition of the house is that our mother stays upstairs. She doesn't come out. All you have to do is feed her three meals a day. And so you never, ever see who's up there. And yeah, that movie is also a very, very good movie. I should probably talk about that on one of these episodes. But anyway, he's outside. He's drinking a beer. Um, he's doing, I think he's doing yard work. He's doing something out there. And he sees a hearse pulling up and he starts shaking, you know, and I would too. And up, oh, who is it? It's that weird dude. It's that weird chauffeur who was staring the hell out of him at his father's funeral and then started smiling at him. And then he stopped smiling at him and was still looking at him. But, you know, even though it, it, he's hallucinating it, the house is causing all of this. I'll add that. Even though he's hallucinating it, it's still very real to him. And the chauffeur is just staring at him smiling from the driver's seat and i'm just like see i don't like that <laughs> creepy and then of course i talked about this on a very early episode hereditary you know everything about hereditary you know was creepy but the scene that stood out was when payment had finally taken over peter's body the teenage son oh i'm sorry not him his mother finally took over his mother, yes, and she chases him until he reaches the attic, and it, you know, or she, because she's not herself, so I should say it, Payman, attaches herself, itself, to the ceiling, or aka the attic door, and is banging her head in a super unnatural, rapid way. That stuck with me for a while. I mean, there were other images of Hereditary that stuck with me for a while, but I didn't like that one bit. I mean, even the scene, and I didn't notice it until my brother pointed it out to me because I had him watch it, but even the scene where he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's on the ceiling of his bedroom and then she just kind of glides out like on the top part of the wall, like out of his room, out of his bedroom. I didn't notice that. I saw her on the ceiling, but I didn't see her leave his room. So, you know, creepy, creepy, creepy. But, you know, that's just naming a few. Um, hell, I don't even like the Burger King commercials from back in the day where, you know, the person would wake up and open their curtains to their bedroom just to find the king standing there with a the breakfast sandwich looking like a real-life bobblehead. You know, no. <laughs> no, thank you. Now, that's why I wanted to talk about, you know, that episode of Lovecraft Country. Um, you know, even though I have a deep appreciation and love for her, it seems to be that the subtle things creep me out the most rather than anything gory or gruesome that I've seen. But I'm definitely going to keep watching. That's for damn sure. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Horror Hut. Again, take a look at Lovecraft Country while it's still fresh and only a couple months old, you know, since being off the air. Uh, when I come across some more good movies to share with you, I'll definitely be here. 
My email address is horrorhutpodcast at gmail.com. That's H-O-R-R-O-R-H-U-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com for any recommendations or discussions that you might want to have. There's also a Facebook page created for the show that I'm still tweaking, but give me time. I will get there when it's completed. I will let you know. Thank you for bearing with me. Until next time.